welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're obsessed with all things conservation detection dogs. Join us every other week to talk about topics ranging from ecology to odor dynamics to the body language of working dogs and much more. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I run Canine Conservationists, where I train dogs to detect data. And today I'm actually coming to you from my car, so I apologize for any um, poor audio quality, but um, I am on my way home from a day of working in the field and uh, have my phone set up to record um, hands-free, and this is about the only time I've got to record. So, um, right now, things are going really well in the field. I'm really happy with how both of the dogs are performing, and, um, you know, no, nothing, nothing big to report there. I obviously can't get a lot of, give a lot of details or specifics on what we're up to, but things are going really well. Um, but I wanted to do a little episode today just on a topic that I, uh, I got roped into a, a Twitter discussion on, which is my first time, uh, I'm very new to Twitter, um, about off-leash dogs and wildlife and off-leash dogs in relation to other recreators. So as many of you know here, I am really, really passionate about having off-leash exercise available to my dogs. But I'm also really, really passionate about ecology and wildlife biology and conservation. So let's talk about how to square those things. And I think first things first, it is important to know and, and say and acknowledge up top that our dogs are predators that can be absolute menaces to wildlife and other recreators out there. And I believe that it is our responsibility as dog owners, both to meet our dog's needs by giving them that amazing exercise and mental enrichment and physical um, fulfillment that they get from exercise in the outdoors, either off leash or on a long line or, you know, what, however you can do that safely. It is also our responsibility to know how to do that in a way that is not just safe for our dogs. And one of the things that I have noticed in um, some of the other discussions, you know, there's, if you guys listen to Cog Dog Radio with Sarah Stremming or a lot of other podcasts that I know we've got quite a bit of audience overlap. Um, you know, I, I, I think that Sarah does a great job on her podcasts where she talks about safety for her dogs and how she does her decompression walk safely. And I think there's a lot of good information out there on that. But I'm not sure if in the dog community, we talk enough about the implications of our dogs for the environment. And I want to bring that up here because when I talk to people, particularly biologists who are not dog people, they may have dogs, but they're not dog people, you know, with a capital D and capital P. Um, they think a lot more about how their dogs are impacting the environment. And I would argue that many of them may think, may not think enough about the fact that our, our dogs are captive and that we do need to figure out how to meet their needs. So we're going to be talking about trying to thread a needle here. I think the biggest thing is up up top, you know, we need to be following our leash laws. That means that if an area is on leash only, your dog should be on a leash. I know that many of us are guilty of getting to a trailhead. It says it's on leash only, but there's nobody else there and you know, we'll let the dog go. And I understand that. <laughs> Um, but there may be reasons beyond just other recreators that an area is on leash only. So the first thing is just, it's always a rule of thumb or, you know, it's always good advice to just follow the law. 
Um, I do recommend hiking. Um, I generally hike with either a 15 or a 30 foot long line or a flexi lead um, if I need to have my dogs on leash. And um, I, I've been pretty happy with those solutions. Um, so next, if, if an area is off leash friendly um, or potentially it's not posted or you're not really sure, um, you know, if it's not posted or you're not sure, uh, technically the correct answer is probably to keep your dog on leash. But I know that I personally probably wouldn't. Um, if it's not explicitly posted otherwise and there's no obvious reason that my dog should be on leash, like, you know, <laughs> if I'm in an urban city uh, park or something, like, I'm gonna, it doesn't need to be posted that my dog should be on leash. There are cars everywhere. I'm going to keep my dog on leash. Um, so if we're somewhere where, you know, my dog can be off leash, the next thing I'm thinking about is is, you know the the obvious thing is who else is in the parking lot um, because that's kind of the first and easiest thing that I can think through and that might mean that if I'm at a, uh, a trailhead so there's um, a bunch of trails in Missoula that are quite popular with mountain bikers if I get there and it's five o'clock on a Tuesday and the trail parking lot is packed and everyone's got a bike rack there I need to be aware of that and while technically legally um, hikers and dog walkers have um, right of way over mountain bikers in at least that trail in Missoula. Um, what I know is that sometimes mountain bikers are going fast. They might be listening to their AirPods and it doesn't help me to get mad at them for that, but it does help me to protect my dogs from getting hit by mountain bikers or spooked by mountain bikers, especially if I've got a dog with me, which neither of my current dogs will do this, but some of our listeners may. And you know, I might have a dog in the future that does this. I've had dogs in the past that would do this. I've had dogs in the past that if they were spooked by a mountain biker, they might bark, growl, or even bite at that biker or their bike. And that's just a lawsuit waiting to happen. You know, we can argue until we're blue in the face about whose fault it is if the mountain biker didn't yield their right of way the way that they should have. The fact of the matter is, I still need to take responsibility for myself and my dog, and that's all I can control. So, I get to the trailhead and I see, I kind of take account of who's there, how many cars there are, um, and then I want to think about what else is going on at that trailhead. So there's another trail in Missoula um, that has multiple parking lots for one huge trail network. So if I'm at that trail, I do also need to know that just because my parking lot looks really quiet um, and that might push me towards having my dogs off leash, that doesn't necessarily mean that every other trail um, parking lot is going to be quiet for that trail system. Um, one of the other things we dealt with a lot in Montana is horses. So really knowing how your dogs do around horses um, and knowing uh, if, it, if you're in an area where dogs are less common, know that the horses on that trail may be not expecting dogs in the same way. Um, so versus if you're at, there's a, that same trail that I was talking about in Missoula that has um, several different parking lots. It also is basically a several hundred acre off-leash dog park. Like everyone's got their dogs there. It's super crowded. Um, I, there's no reason, there are very few people who go there to recreate without their dogs because it's so overrun with dogs, which is something we'll talk about later, um, which makes it, in my opinion, a great place to take my dogs when I just want them to blow off steam because it's big enough and generally the dogs are well behaved enough that we haven't had any big altercations and my dogs are never going to be the worst behaved dogs there. It's such an impacted area that it's a really good place to let my dogs go. Um, and there are occasionally horses there, but everyone who brings their horses there brings horses 
houses that are rock solid with dogs. So it's also a cool place to get to introduce your dog to horses. On the flip side, say I went up into the Bob Marshall Wilderness in Montana, which is super remote. Um, and very, very few people go there. You're likely to, you, you can potentially hike for days without seeing anyone at all. I need to know that if I see a horse trailer at the parking lot that I'm going to, they might not be expecting dogs. So I need to be much, much more careful about making sure I don't spook their horses and get my dog, myself, the horse, or the rider hurt or killed. So that's kind of other recreators. Um, it is also just a common courtesy. If your dog is off leash, even if it's, whether it's legal or illegal, and you see someone else coming, call your dog to you, leash them up, give them a couple cookies, move off the trail and keep going um, once they've passed. Be friendly. Do as much as you can to demonstrate that your dog is under control and listens to you and that you are being responsible. And this is important for a variety of reasons. Of course, some people are scared of dogs, rightly, or, you know, in your opinion, they might be irrational, but they're scared of dogs. And that could be because they've had, they got bitten at some point. It could just be that they're from a different culture. Maybe they're just scared of dogs. It's none of your business. It is your responsibility to call your dog away from them and give them uh, space from your dog. And if they want to meet your dog and they want to ask to meet your dog, you of course can grant them that permission after you've already collected your dog. Um, and uh, yeah, the other thing that I think about a lot for this is that it is a privilege to be able to take your dogs off leash anywhere. Um, those are rules and uh, privileges that could be taken away at any point. <laughs> Um, and having your dog run up to people and jump on them, even if there's no harm done in your book, can ultimately contribute to off-leash privileges being taken away at a given trailhead or in a given municipality. Um, because again, just because the dog didn't bite anyone or knock anyone over or growl at anyone doesn't mean that they weren't upset by the interaction. So, and remember that, um, you, remember that other people may feel as much social pressure as you do in those situations. So just because someone says that it's fine that your dog ran up to them, that might not actually mean that it is because they're feeling as much pressure to be nice to you as you're feeling to be nice to them, if not potentially more, because maybe you're not feeling much pressure to be nice to them. Hey everyone, just popping into this episode with an update on our Patreon. We still have the $3 a month doggy detector level, which allows you to ask questions for me and the guests to answer each episode, but now also lets you join our monthly training video analysis calls. These calls are going to be recorded, of course, and we'll also publish the video afterwards for everyone to view and ask questions about prior to the call to ensure that all time zones can participate fully. So we'll basically publish the video we're going to analyze so that you can ask questions and view it and prepare ahead of time. Then we'll have the call where we talk about it. We can have beverages. It'll be a good time. And then all of that is going to be shared later. So you can participate before, during, and after. Again, just for three bucks a month. Now, at the $10 a month sensational scientist level, you get everything that we got before at the $3 level, plus you get to submit videos of your training sessions for those calls. So this is perfect for the aspiring canine conservationist, and your target odor doesn't really matter here as long as you do communicate what it is so we can think intelligently about your goals. Um, so this is going to be great for nosework competitors and other canine handlers as well, and we're really striving to make these video calls super kind and supportive and helpful, so um, it's going to be a nice safe place on the internet to get good feedback back on your training sessions because I know how much of a struggle that can be, especially in the set work world. So then finally, the canine conservationist patrons get everything from those other two tiers, plus a private 30-minute training call with me to go over whatever you're running into with your dog.
That tier is just 25 bucks a month, and that's cheaper than booking my time at journeydogtraining.com for behavior modification, and that's just because I love you and I love my patrons. That's definitely something to check out. You can join that Patreon over at patreon.com slash canineconservationists or at the link at canineconservationists.org. It's like a tiny link up in the top bar. And then we also drop that link into our show notes. So if you're listening on your podcast app, you should be able to find it just right from there. So thank you guys so much, and let's get back to the episode. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff to think about with other recreators, but there's also a lot to think about with wildlife. And um, again, I think this is where when I listen to some other dog podcasts, and I'm not saying this to pick on them, you know, it's just I have a different frame of reference and a different lens that I really care about than some other dog podcasts. I'm not sure they talk enough about wildlife. So one of the first things I do, if I know that I just want to be able to take my dogs for a good romp, go let them go do their thing. Uh, Niffler loves to just sprint around Helter Skelter and, you know, he's a maniac. Um, I intentionally will take my dogs to places that are heavily impacted by other traffic. Um, And that is because those are places where there is likely to be relatively minimal wildlife because it's already been so impacted by other people. And the wildlife that is there is probably relatively used to people. So at that same trailhead that I've mentioned a couple times with the horses and the multiple parking lots, um, I I know that my dogs will never be the most problematic dogs in that environment. So again, when I'm like, it's been a long day or a long week and I just need to go somewhere and let my dogs run around for an hour, but I don't want to go to a dog park because I'm not a dog park person. My dogs aren't dog park dogs. I can go to this big, huge trail system. I know not everyone has that privilege, but it is still something to think about as far as, you know, what trails near you might be already really heavily impacted to where your dog is unlikely to be part of a problem for wildlife because, again, the wildlife has already been essentially extirpated by the human traffic. Um, If your dog is well-trained and well-behaved enough to go elsewhere, to go to more remote locations for off-leash exercise, and unfortunately it is outside the scope of this podcast to talk about how to get your dog ready for that, Um, I I might do one of those at some point, but um, I want to talk more about dogs and wildlife and off-leash places and those things today. So say um, say that that is the case that, um, so my dogs, both of my dogs, I feel very comfortable taking them um, out in the mountains in Montana, having them off leash. Um, Niffler still at times, he's dragging a long line currently. He's had times where I'm, I've got him on leash. He's had times where he's fully off leash. It kind of varies a little bit with teenage brain and how, how quickly his hormones are uh, changing right now. But anyway, let's talk about Barley. He's, he's great. He, um, I've worked really hard with him to work on his recall away from wildlife. I was once on a Tinder date with a a forest service ranger and uh, we flushed a bunny for right under our feet and I recalled Barley off of it the first time I called him. You know, it was great. I was very proud of myself. Um, No, we did not go on a second date, but yes, he was impressed. Um, So, and I just say that um, because that is the sort of obedience that you want to be able to have from your dog. Ideally, if you're going to be able to take your dog in a place where they might run into wildlife, because again, our dogs are predators. They are captive animals. They are not little people in furry suits. And we need to be really aware of the fact that our dogs may go after wildlife. And even if they don't catch a bunny, think of how many calories that bunny is burning 
needlessly as it runs away from your dog and the stress that that bunny might be feeling. And I know as a wildlife biologist, I've heard a lot of stories. I have not personally seen this yet, but um, bunnies and plenty of other animals can and will just die of stress from being handled by even highly trained biologists. So again, even if you think, oh, well, my dog didn't catch the bunny, so it's fine. It might not necessarily be fine. So you got you have to work. <laughs> you have to work on that off-leash obedience and it's not just because you might lose your dog. Even if your dog might just chase them for a couple hundred meters and then come back to you, that's not really acceptable in my book as far as your dog harassing wildlife because the wildlife has the right to be there more so than your dog, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and I that might that might ruffle a couple of feathers in the dog community. Um, and you know, I think that goes even for species that we might not consider heavily impacted. You know, I, I understand that uh, we might care a little bit less about our Eurasian cottontail bunnies than we would about, um, you know, a kiwi bird in New Zealand, but that animal still has intrinsic value and deserves to not be stressed out and chased in its home by your dog. Um, so generally, if I have, say I've got a reactive dog that is good off leash, but I don't want to be taking it somewhere like that trailhead that ever picks on a couple times where it's just, you know, it's, it's a, it's full of other dogs. It's a, it's a great place to go, um, because there's plenty of space. Um, what I do a lot there is I go out to areas where I can find really rural, um, gravel roads. And I will just walk the dog along those gravel roads. It might not be as scenic, it might not be as pretty, but you're not gonna run into other dogs. And also because it's already a road, there's already vehicles coming and going. It's already a pretty he heavily impacted area. And a lot of times there, um, you know, almost every road, <laughs> most roads, the trees and bushes and everything are going to be cut back away from the road so that um, it's going to be much less likely that you startle or surprise or come up upon wildlife if you're using wide roads. So, um, you know, forest service roads, logging access roads, as long as you've got, um, you're legally allowed to be there. Those are great places to take your dogs for good off-leash exercise. Next, um, because again, um, you're probably going to see less wildlife than if you were on a, you know, a, a single lane path through the mountains or through the forest. One of the other things to consider is thinking about um, the behavior of the wildlife in your area. And that's, you know, in general, what is the behavior? In general, what are the species that are around? And then also thinking throughout the day and throughout the course of the year, when they're active and when they're most likely to be either vulnerable or aggressive or, you know, in, other, in some other way, uh, something that you wouldn't want to run into. So I'm gonna pick on two different places right now. One is Wisconsin, which is where I grew up. Well, no, I'm actually going to pick on Nebraska, which is where I'm at right now, and then I'll pick on Montana. So here in Nebraska, one of the biggest things that I'm thinking about here when I take the dogs out is ground nesting birds. And that is because I am in a prairie and the birds here over the summer, um, most of them, many of them nest on the ground because there are no trees. Um, so that is one of my number one concerns. And that means that I'm really having to be very careful about how I interact with the dogs because if they were to flush a bird and then there's nestlings on the ground or eggs on the ground, the dogs might um, be, they, we might get too close to them um, or the dog might get too close to them well before I've even realized what's happening, which is a little different from a moose or a bear, which I'm gonna talk about in a minute when I get to Montana. And also my dogs are much more likely to just step on a nestling and kill it 
or eat it because it's, you know, chicken nugget sized at its biggest. Um, so ground nesting birds are my biggest concern here. Luckily where I'm at here in um, Nebraska, there are no venomous snakes. So I'm not really thinking about snakes, which is, which is great. You know, while there may be garter snakes or some of those other, we do have bull snakes here. Um, I'm not really worried about them for my dogs and they're few and far between enough that I'm not really worried about my dogs bothering them. We have a lot of deer and jackrabbits. So those are both animals that I don't want my dogs to be chasing for, as I've mentioned, a variety of reasons. It's not just that I don't want my dogs to chase them because I might lose my dogs. It's also that it's not fair to that animal to be harassed by my dogs. So, and that's the main thing I'm thinking about here in Montana. They do, we do have, or in, uh, in Nebraska, I'm sorry. We do have um, badgers and coyotes and foxes and a couple other species, but most of them are few and far between enough that I'm not really, really worried about running into them. Or they are, um, you know, crepuscular or nocturnal. So crepuscular meaning they're active at dawn and dusk, you know, kind of those twilight times. Um, nocturnal obviously meaning that they are active at night and um, because of that I just don't if I'm uh, recreating with the dogs in the middle of the day I'm just really not worried about those animals much versus the ground nesting birds which are obviously ground nesting um, <laughs> all day that's where the nestlings are that's where the eggs are they don't move so I do really need to be worried about them no matter when I'm coming out so um, now let's talk a little bit about Montana. Montana is an entirely different beast in a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, turns of phrase. So obviously in Montana we do still have ground nesting birds and deer and bunnies. So all the same things stand there. But in Montana as well we also have moose, which are incredibly dangerous. We have bison. We have bears, both black and grizzly bears, um, and we do have rattlesnakes as well. Um, so we've got kind of everything. So it is really, really important for me to recognize, you know, when moose calving season may be, and therefore when the mama, mama mooses, mace, moose, are uh, most likely to be aggressive um, and really, really scary. And those are times where I also, as I'm hiking, if I realize that our hike is kind of starting to drop down into the lowlands, getting a little a little marshy, a little, little wet, my boots are starting to get wet, I'm picking up my dog's leashes and I'm talking loud to make sure that I don't spook any moose because their their eyesight is quite bad. So it is really important to make sure um, that I'm, I'm doing what I can to not spook them. Um, I have not yet had my dogs chase a moose. I've not yet been charged by a moose, um, but I've heard absolute horror stories and I, I have heard of dogs that have been killed. Bears are somewhat similar, so as soon as I start getting into really thick brush um, or under understory sort of stuff, again, I'm probably picking up my leashes. Um, my dogs always have bear bells on, and I might start, you know, doing the "Hey bear" sort of game as we as we go around um, and keep moving through. Um, and then, you know, knowing that at certain times of the year, the grizzly bears are moving higher and lower in elevation. They might be targeting moths for, versus huckleberries and really thinking about, okay, if I'm in the, the early part of the year where, or I, in the, you know, if I'm in the time of year where they actually are, are moving up into the scree fields to go after these moths, maybe that's not a good time to have my dog off leash away from me in a scree field versus, you know, the huckleberries are peaking and I'm out huckleberry picking at, at my favorite patch and it's super remote again might not be a great time to have my dogs off leash um and not super duper closely supervised because that's when the bears might be there as well 
We also have mountain lions in Montana, which can be, um, which are pretty terrifying. Um, but I have not yet seen one. They tend to be, again, crepuscular, so active at dusk and dawn. So the big thing with, with them is thinking through, you know, Okay, I'm not going. I'm generally not going to be active in hiking at dawn and dusk. If I am, I'm doing what I can to hike in a group. We've got bear bells. We're being aware um, and just, you know, doing what we can to stay safe. So I don't want to. I don't want to beat this to death as far as going through those two different analogies. But it is hopefully helpful for for me to highlight the different how I'm thinking about this and the different risks between the two different. Um, states. And I hope um, the thing that I, I would like you to take away from this is t thinking through, you know, as I said, time of year with the moose, habitat with the moose, habitat with the bear, um, habitat with the, the ground nesting birds, and, you know, doing what you can to learn that about whatever wildlife is present in your area. So as we're kind of wrapping up here on just this this dogs and wildlife little uh, mini so diatribe thing, I do you know of course I want to end by reiterating that I do think it is really really important that we get off leash exercise for our dogs in a way that is safe for our dogs, but I also think it's really important to not be to not compromise the welfare of the other animals in the ecosystem for the sake of exercising our dogs. So it is a lot of responsibility resting on dog owners' shoulders to to juggle both of those things. It's not easy, but do remember that recreating outdoors off-leash with our dogs is a privilege and um, mismanaging that privilege could absolutely lead to it being taken away. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So if you're, um, if you wanna comment wherever you see this shared on social media or shoot me an email or join on Patreon. I would love to hear it. My name is Kayla Fratt. I run Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data. And uh, I will be in your earbuds again soon. Bye.